It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And what is up? Welcome in Thursday episode of GC Live. A little bit earlier today, hour early, knocking out the show. We'll also be having our Friday normal preview, final thoughts show coming up as well. I believe that'll be live from Market on Main if anybody wants to roll along. Um, this is the episode where we start to dive into Vanderbilt. Tomorrow will be more of, as always, like the matchup show. Um, matchups to watch, keys to victory. Um, you know, maybe a little recruiting talk, stuff like that. We are still efforting a Vanderbilt guest for you all. Um, I actually got a text back right before the show started. So maybe a late substitution with a Vanderbilt guest today. Maybe a Vanderbilt guest tomorrow. We are still hoping that that can happen. But uh, until, until then, Chris and I are going to tell you everything we know about the Vanderbilt Commodores. Um Chris, I will say this. First, like, very, very broad thought is this appears to be, like, an improved Vanderbilt team this year. You know, I was thinking about the game last year. Obviously, South Carolina escaped that game. We all know the story by now. Um, but it was a game where Carolina came out playing, a like, pretty dominant. Like, they were moving the ball up and down the field early on, sort of stalled out on them. I had forgotten until I read the uh, Vegas article um, from uh, from Brian Edwards, there Vanderbilt was a 19 point underdog going into that game against South Carolina last year. This year, they're a seven point underdog. Obviously, the game being in Nashville, but uh, I think you know you look at what Clark Lee has done so far. They are a much more competitive football team than the one that we've seen the last couple of years. And man, they're they're a team that. Is going, they're going to break through at some point, and I don't mean and like compete for the East, I mean and win an SEC game. Like, it's yeah. been a long time since they've won an SEC game. If you're another SEC opponent out there, you're just hoping it's not against you, dude. That that's that's the first thought I had when you when you said that. Like, South Carolina almost broke it last year, Missouri almost broke it this year. You don't want to be the one to break it, so. I think it's a good point. You know, it's kind of – there's some parallels to last week where you're looking at a team and you're saying in Missouri, for instance, hey, I, I see the record. I know what the record is. But you look at how close some of their games have been, how they've given games away, and you look at their defense and you say, this is a much better team. This is a dangerous game. As it turns out, it's very dangerous for South Carolina. They didn't play well, didn't – establish an edge in special teams like we're accustomed to seeing got off to a really really bad defensive start and played poorly for the entire game basically on offense so when that happens and you play a team that has some capability like Missouri does uh, and they're really really good in one phase of the game the other ones they establish an advantage and they play you even in special teams you're probably going to lose so um, Vanderbilt not as good a team as Missouri certainly they just played Head-to-head, Missouri came out on top barely. But I do think there are some signs, Wes, that this is a improved Vanderbilt team from last season. You remember, we were all kind of like gobsmacked is the best word I can think of at the beginning of the year. You remember they played Hawaii and scored like 63 points. And you're going, to, is it basketball season? Did I wake up like 63 points for Vanderbilt? Um, they beat a Northern Illinois team that gave Kentucky a lot of problems. They gave Coastal Carolina a lot of problems. Uh, driving down, ran out of time against those guys. Eight-point game against Kentucky for Northern Illinois. And then you look at the schedule, Wes. Vanderbilt was got their doors blown off by Georgia, who is right now a college football playoff team. They got their doors blown off by Alabama, who's still – they've slipped a little, but they're still a very good team, right? 
Um, they have a very, very difficult schedule. Um, but we do know that they've shown the capability to score more points this year. They've played two different quarterbacks uh, situationally this season. Um, they have some receivers that are capable. And under Clark Lee, you can tell he's kind of really recruited to their system and is trying to get the guys to be comfortable and buy into the type of defensive system that he wants them to play, which is basically play smart football, don't give up a lot of big plays, um, don't give up explosives, keep things in front of you. And they've done a pretty good job of that. Now, it doesn't show in a lot of the games because normally when they play Georgia, when they play Bama, they're extremely outmanned. But what they can do for teams like Missouri or, in my opinion, probably South Carolina, is get you into closer games where you're going. those margins are going to shrink and you have to come away and play the cleaner game in order to win. Yeah, man. They, I mean, they look like a team that has improved on both sides of the ball. Um, I don't know. I, I've watched very little of them. Um, I was under the impression that this was a solid Vanderbilt defense. Um, statistically, you look at it, that's not the case at all. Like I uh, – you know, if you just go traditional stats, scoring defense, they're they're last in the conference. I mean, they're giving up 36.6 points a game. Like you said, though, I mean, a big portion of that is um, what you gave up, 55 to Georgia, 52 to Ole Miss, 55 to Alabama, um, 28 to Northern Illinois, 45 to Wake Forest. Um, so some big totals there. They obviously, as we all know now, only lost 17 to 14 to Missouri. Um, you know, a Missouri team that uh, went out and scored, uh, you know, 23 points on South Carolina. So I, I think it is one of those things where if you're a fan, it is, um, it, it's probably right to have a healthy amount of respect for Van, for Vanderbilt's ability to keep this game potentially tight. Um, the other side is, you should expect South Carolina to win this game. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and build Vanderbilt up to the extent of that, um, you know, anyone's going to think Vanderbilt should win. And, you know, if South Carolina loses, that like that would be concerning, I think. And I, I think, um, you know, it was a weird game for them against Missouri. I, I went back and tried to watch um, some of that game. And, you know, Missouri came out and, and really looked like the far better team off the top and then just sort of uh, sputtered the rest of the way. Vanderbilt kept playing. Um, Jalen Mahoney made some plays, a guy from right here in South Carolina. Uh, really, really good player, man. Great DB from Rock Hill. And, you know, th there was no quit in, in Vanderbilt. So, um, in, in some ways, they – I mean, they were down absolutely the same way South Carolina was to Missouri, 17 to nothing. And um, – you know, found, found a way to sort of uh, claw back. And I, I think this is always a little bit of a weird game for South Carolina. Um, last year, as we talked about, Vandy um, came back, nearly won the game at the end. Zeb had to sort of uh, bail South Carolina out. The year before, might have been South Carolina's best performance uh, against anybody um, running up and down the field on Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, I think it's concerning a lot of people, Wes, because – Two main reasons. One, what you saw last year, Vanderbilt team that was not even as good as this one, um, gave you a whole bunch of problems. It's on the road, so I'll, get, I'll give three things. It's on the road, so that that can sometimes be – I mean, that, that place is a weird place to play. Um, there's nobody there, typically. Um, and then the common opponent carryover. You know, you look at – I mean, you just covered it. Keeping it tight with a Missouri team that came in and really – beat South Carolina from start to finish last Saturday. That That's also concerning. Not, you know, and not doing the transitive property thing, but you just look at what South Carolina has done, some of their issues. You look at how Vanderbilt's formula in that game. Here's, here's one, Wes, just to dive in. I mean, you look at why did Missouri ultimately take that 17-0 lead and have it erased, and then Vanderbilt claws back in where you had four turnovers for Missouri, and one of them was – uh, a fumble that was run for a short gain into the end zone to, for one of Vanderbilt's scores. So, again, you're a South Carolina team that has 
literally, I mean, just been unable to solve the turnover issue. Every single game, even the ones you have won, you have had turnovers, and not just turnovers, but at times, Wes, turnovers that have been quite devastating. You know, so it's um that that's kind of the main thing, right? Like you can't go to Nashville and make a bunch of mistakes and assume that you're good enough to go and beat this team because that's that's probably not going to be the case. One thing that's interesting, Wes, to dive into with Vanderbilt, um, you mentioned Jalen Mahoney. They've got a couple other guys that South Carolina fans may remember. Remember Jaden McGowan uh, from Lawrence? One of the faster receiver prospects coming out of the country. Smaller guy, uh, but I think it's their second leading receiver this year. 34 catches this season. Also carries the ball a little bit for him. Um, and then Dericky Wright is one of their really good defensive players who's uh, kind of a secondary or linebacker kind of guy, has three interceptions this year. Uh, he was someone that that South Carolina was looking at at one point in the recruiting process. So a little bit of roster carryover there, um, or recruiting carryover, rather, be- between these teams. Yeah, and I, I think, man, um, speaking of, like, carryover, how, how much carryover is there from last week? Like, how much is – um, if at all, is this team sort of feeling the effects of last week? You know, the whole cliche, like, don't let, uh, don't let a team beat you twice. Don't, um, you know, don't buy into some of the things that are being said about you outside of the building. For the most part, man, I mean, this team went through some, we talked about it, this team's been through a lot, um, over the last few years. And, um, they did a good job, I think, last year of kind of just keeping, um, keeping the outside noise, the outside noise. And, um, you know, they're able to bounce back from a really rough start to the season and uh, and play fairly well down the stretch. So, you know, I, I think this is, like you said, though, also one of those places where you do have to bring your own energy. Like if, if you have a home game, you know, sometimes you can feed off the crowd. Sometimes in a road game, great environment, you can just kind of feed off the underdog, you know, let – I'm going to quiet these people. Like energy is energy. Like you can still feed off of it. This is a high school environment. Like there will be better environments tomorrow night in the state of South Carolina um, at these high school playoff games than you're probably going to see against Vanderbilt Saturday night in Nashville. Um, So you have to bring your own energy, bring your own edge if you're South Carolina. So I, I think that's going to be something to pay attention to early on. However, as much as we are giving Vandy some love, as much as, um, you know, they deserve credit for, you know, making progress, I think we have now maybe gone back a little bit to where everybody was too high on South Carolina after the four straight wins, particularly after the last two. Um, everybody maybe a little bit too low on Carolina going into this game. One very important thing, Chris, that I, I think comes down to matchups. And for South Carolina, as we've seen, when they when they can have some room to run, uh, when they can protect their passer, you know, they're they can be okay. They can be solid on offense. And I, I think looking at Vandy, just from a PFF grade standpoint, defensively, um, you have to consider the opponents. But still, this is a team. Their grade is last in the SEC in pass rush. Um, run defense grade is second to last in the SEC. Um, could be an opportunity for them to uh, kind of reestablish some of that running game that they were able to um, break in those four weeks in a row compared to what we saw against Missouri, which is what we, you know, we see is that if they can't run the ball at all, if they're getting negative plays, if they're in third and longs, they're not going to have much success on offense. Yeah, for sure. And, and and I do think this is a better matchup than Missouri. I mean, Missouri, in some ways, was kind of a nightmare for South Carolina defensively with what they can do. We've seen South Carolina have issues with uh, getting in too many third and longs. And when you play teams that are really good at getting after the passer in those situations, South Carolina has actually been pretty good on the second and third and long plays except for when they take a lot of pressure. You know, you think back to the Arkansas game. That that was certainly one where, you know, gave up some sacks and, and had too many pressures in that game. 
last week was an example of that. And then obviously defensively they got gashed. I think the concerns, Wes, are, you know, for South Carolina, turnovers is obviously one. Running the football is going to have to be a priority. Uh, regardless of Vanderbilt's pass rush prowess, they're not going to be nearly as good as Vanderbilt or Missouri is in that scenario. You still don't want to get behind the sticks that much to where you're having to rely on those plays. You got to come out and establish the run. And I think one West to look at, you know, obviously Missouri did a great job of getting the ball out on the perimeter last week. And if you're South Carolina, you've got to clean that up going forward. I don't think teams will be able to, necessarily replicate that as much so maybe that was a bad matchup issue that i didn't anticipate quite as much you got to make vanderbilt play this game in the box you have to keep things condensed inside right you got to make them run the football up the middle um you got to get them into third and longs where your guys are going to have an opportunity to go tee off i mean we, we talked about that this week texas a&m you have 33 pressures which is an incredible number the next week against Missouri, you have three and one sack, right? So a, a huge, huge drop-off there. You got to make sure that you are the aggressor and you're dictating defensively the line of scrimmage and, and what the other team's doing. Now, one interesting thing for Vanderbilt's offense, Wes, is which quarterback will we see to start with? And then who will it be throughout the game? So A.J. Swan uh, is Vanderbilt's starter. He's more of a pocket passer type, went down with an injury against Missouri, and then Mike Wright came into the game. Mike Wright's a player that South Carolina has seen before. He is a mobile guy. He's going to come out and look to run. And both of those guys, it's not like they've lit it up because Vanderbilt in conference play has not done a lot offensively, obviously. No points against, uh, what was it, none against Georgia and three against Bama. They scored some early against Ole Miss. They scored seven offensive points against Missouri. But Mike Wright's a guy that can run, and we saw South Carolina struggle with that last week against Missouri with Brady Cook's legs. So uh, we obviously saw them struggle with that against K.J. Jefferson in a big way with Arkansas. So just another wrinkle to look at. Uh, Clark Lee, the Vandy head coach, said that Swan was trending towards playing. But could we see Mike Wright regardless? Will we see him the entire game if Swan can't go? Maybe. And that's something South Carolina will have to be ready for. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on there. Um, but I, I want to hit on that a little bit more before we completely switch gears. I had a couple of questions um, about Marshawn Lloyd, um, rumors he can't go, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I haven't heard any of that. Obviously, I think, man, anytime you're talking about a running back and something dealing with his legs, even though, you know, Mar Marshawn talked about this. You hear bruise and you think, oh, it's a bruise. You can play. But um, if you go back and look at the play that it happened on, dude, he, he took, I mean, helmet, speared, like crown of the helmet, full speed straight into your quad. So, um, you know, that's something that can stiffen up on you. Um, you're talking about a road game, obviously, with some travel and, you know, I, I wouldn't read too far into anything I see about Lloyd, um, honestly, positively or negatively, until game day. Like, I, I think, you know, we'll we'll get a Thursday night update on the injury report for Beamer this evening, a call-in show. But then um, that is a type thing. It can be good one day, and it could tighten up and, and not be good. Or it's a type thing that maybe cannot be feeling too great and then can continue to loosen up and can be fine on game day. But certainly – Marshawn Lloyd saying on Tuesday that he felt like um, he was going to be good to go for the game on Saturday. So we'll see where that goes. Um, but in the same um, stratosphere, how about the comment by Satterfield that was completely overlooked by everyone pairing every single thing he said down to, you know, what did he mean by this syllable and, um, you know, what was this about? Did you catch the comment about, you know, it's all hands on deck for a running back, whether that's, um, you know, he mentioned we got a kickoff return that's outstanding, a backup quarterback that can run. Um, was that just putting it out there so the opponent prepares for to carry on Joyner or Luke Doty potentially in the Wildcat? Or what, what did you make of that comment? That was weird. Z Xavier Leggett? 
wildcat snaps? I mean, I, I don't know. We've seen who all have we seen take take direct snaps? We've seen CBS, um, Marshawn. I don't know this year, but we've seen it before. Yeah. Um, we've seen Juju before. Wells. We've seen Juju. We've seen Juice. I don't think we've seen Xavier Leggett. No, that was interesting. And um, you know, that that was one of the funny things was I saw somebody asked me, and this is okay. I'm not trying to give anybody a hard time, but it was like talked about how important Marshawn Lloyd was to the offense, but then said that we have other backs that are expected to be counted on. It's like he he was answering a question with that thing, you know, what other backs do you have? Um, Wes, there is though, I mean, this this leads to maybe an, another a bigger point. There's a big drop off between Marshawn Lloyd and other guys right now. I mean, we just got to call it like it is. Um, Christian Beal Smith, he's been banged up a lot this year. Seems to be healthy or healthier now. More of a more of a short yardage runner, right? Juju McDowell, more of an outside runner. Uh, so when Marshawn Lloyd is not in the game and he is breaking more tackles. Will Helms had an amazing stat on that, Wes. I think he broke more tackles against Missouri than the other guys had combined since SC State game or something like that. Point is, he breaks a lot of tackles and has made a lot of plays. The drop-off is pretty substantial. So they are going to have to find some answers in the run game, and that is – I don't know – I don't have any information yet about Marshawn play, no play. Just saying, if he's on the sideline for whatever reason, taking a break, not able to play, whatever it may be, uh, they got to find some other things in the run game. Juju McDowell is a better outside runner. Can you find a way to run him outside without telegraphing it? Can you get CBS going? Um, these are things that they are going to have to figure out. And so I, di- I did catch that. I'm not really sure what to make of it, though. Do you, do you have any theories? No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it means either we're going to see eight backs play on Saturday or he was just throwing it out there um, to make the other te- <clears throat> other teams say, what's this about? Like, what what are you talking about? Um, I don't know. I don't know how much dude. I don't know how much other teams look at press conferences and use that as their um, game planning uh, information. Probably should if they don't. I don't know. But um, it it was different. It was it made me think, and it, it got completely glossed over because of the Jaheim Bell talk and just all the other talk about the offense. Um, you know, you and I talked earlier today, man, on 107.5. There's nothing Satterfield can say right now that's going to make everybody happy. There's nothing. The only thing that's going to happen is uh, that can fix things is on-the-field progress, and it's so late in the year now. I don't even know if that fixes things in a lot of people's eyes. But, uh, yeah, interesting comment. I, I'm sitting there. You know, here's the thing. Marshawn can do it all, and he can, miss t- he can create missed tackles for you. Um, he can get hit in the backfield and still get positive yardage. I think the problem is, like what you just said, is that you um, you have to be more deliberate about what you ask the other guys to do, whereas Marshawn, you can just say, hey, go do this. And, um, you know, there there was a moment in that A&M game where CBS sort of hobbled off of that game. And, you know, we've seen him missing time at the beginning of the year. We saw him um, miss – Kentucky game. I'm I'm sort of the mindset of we maybe just have not seen him at his full strength. Um, you know, at the very least, I think, Chris, the lack of playing time because of the injuries has kept him from being able to find a rhythm. I mean, er, even early on, you know, Marshawn, it felt like he was sort of a split second or, or one little move away from breaking off some of these chunk plays or from breaking a tackle. As the year progressed, his confidence goes up. He got better and better. I, I think we have not seen CBS really get that opportunity. So I don't know if he's not quite 100% or if just not being 100% for much of the year has kept him from kind of finding that rhythm. He tripped, I think, or like sort of the – it was almost like the ground, um, like didn't have a good grip. Um, Earth monster. Yep. Yeah, so I don't know, man, but you're right. If if Lloyd is in any way limited or banged up or not able to go, then 
somebody else is going to have to step up. And, you know, I hate to just be random fan C that just says, hey, play the next guy. But, um, you know, I, at some point, do you try to get um, Rashad Amos in there? Do you, uh, you know, give one of these other guys a chance? Amos is a big-bodied back. I've always heard he's talented. He's just been behind other guys, you know? Rashad Amos, Dante Miller is one that I think Beamer and Satterfield have both made a point to talk about. I mean, after the top three backs, you know, early in the season when there were some opportunities to get some guys in when South Carolina has a lead, we saw Dante Miller, you know, is the next guy out there. So that'd be one. Hey, I'm going to put this up, West from Trung, and he's asking about Juju being a coach favorite regardless how he plays. Look, this is what I'm going to early. Trung, by the way, I think – you're the trunk from Twitter. You do an awesome job. I, I love reading your feed, if that's you. I think it is. Appreciate you. Um, here's We were talking about this, Wes, on the Gamecock Central Takeover on 107.5, and we were talking about quarterback and putting your players in the best positions. I feel like Juju this year in 2022 is last year's Marshawn Lloyd, meaning y'all remember – in 2021, Marshawn was obviously behind Z White, Kevin Harris. Marshawn really wasn't like full go, fully healthy, knee brace off until um, after the Florida game. So after the bye week, gets to the Florida game, knee braces off, and he looks better. But he's still behind Z White and Kevin Harris at that point. But remember, there was this point where when Marshawn touched the ball, there are five people there automatically. It, like, I don't know what you – I think some bad luck maybe to it or whatever it may be. It's been that way for Juju this year. And Satterfield talked about it on Wednesday. He was asked about running Juju McDowell on inside runs and up the middle and things like that at his size. And he basically said that's not somewhere you want to be living. You know, you, you got to find a way to, to get Juju outside. So I kind of chalk it up to – you know, sometimes there's guys that meet him in the backfield immediately, and he's not going to be able to break tackles like Marshawn Lloyd can. What Juju's adept at is getting to the sideline and somehow, despite guys, three guys having an angle on him, he can still turn the corner. What we saw against DCU, which Chung brought up last year, I mean, outside stretch plays, those types, outside zone, those types of runs, that's what you have to get him out there on. But they're going to have to find a way, man. And they're going to, they're, they're not going to be able to telegraph just running outside zone all the time. They got to do what they've shown they can be good at. But a large part of what they've been good at is because Marshawn Lloyd has been so excellent, you know, just as an individual player. So got to find some answers at running back. And again, that's, that's not even talking about his health. That's just when he's on the sideline at any point, they got to find a way to get better. Yeah. I mean, you, as much as, we would all maybe enjoy watching it. It's just not you, – you can't just give Lloyd the ball every single time. You know, like that's not – Why? Why not? not pot. He can't carry the ball 45 times in a game. So, somebody else has got to step in there. But, here, I mean, Chris, there were times um, – there's been times in his career that Juju has looked like the best back. Like, there were times, you know, I think when Kevin Harris was banged up last year and Z White was, like, inexplicably not playing, like Juju – Looked like the best back. There were times early this year where it was like more good things were actually happening for a small stretch when Juju was on the field than there were, you know, when Marshawn. Now, Marshawn, once Marshawn started getting consistent carries, he sort of has obviously taken it to a completely different level and become a star. So um, I do think there's something to be said, though, for those other backs sort of only getting – you know, a carry here, a carry there. You don't find a rhythm that way at all. Um, but but obviously there is still – there's a drop. And Marshawn – I mean, Marshawn missed uh, – he forced like four missed tackles in that game in I think seven carries. Um, although it felt like even more than that, to be honest. I mean, there was one play where I swear he missed – he made five people miss on one play. Give me this, all right? Let's let's take Marshawn out again. You know, Jaheim Bell, does he get the second most carries on Saturday against Vanderbilt? Let's say if he's playing behind 
Lloyd, if Lloyd, you know, if Lloyd is fully healthy, able to go, all that stuff. Does Jaheim Bell see several carries against Vanderbilt as a way to get him on the field? And because maybe you can solve the issue that we're talking about. They they have not been able, aside from Marshawn Lloyd, to really find consistency in the running game. I don't know, man, because it, here's the thing. I, I've been clear, clearly the, like, Jaheim Bell can do everything, you know, move him around. Um, let's put him here, put him there, put him here, which was, like, the original plan. Um, I think it's kind of overcomplicated things, and it's led to him just not being able to focus on one thing and doing that thing great. So – Somebody commented earlier, can Bell just play wide receiver? Um, my, my thought process has been put Bell in the slot and let's just go play ball. Like that, That's sort of been my thought process of you got to just completely like simplify this thing and quit trying to overthink it. However, I was also one of the people early in the year when people were grumbling about handing the ball to Bell and Bell playing running back and all this stuff. I was like, well, I mean, I truly think Jaheim Bell could be a top-level SEC back if he got the ball 17, 18 times as a running back. You mm-hmm. know, like I – no, I, I just think when you ask him to focus on too many different things, that's when things get a little bit difficult. Now, last week when Carolina was struggling to run the football without Lloyd and needed somebody to break some tackles and needed somebody to – just get in there and move the pile. I would have been tempted to say, "Hey, zero, we're we're." Somebody mentioned the spring game. We're playing you the way we did in the spring game, putting you in the backfield. Now, here's the thing, Chris. I don't know was that repped at all in practice this week? Have they? It seems like they've sort of, as Marshawn has gotten going, they've kind of scrapped the bell in the backfield thing, except for some short yardage, the three back stuff they like to do. Um, they'll motion them in and motion them out situational, you know, yeah. I don't know how much they've just said you're a running back on this play, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lately in practice, I know preseason, he was with the running backs a ton. Yeah. Um, but, but how much of the time you've spent with him playing running back in the preseason in the running back room at practice, um, taking reps, how much did some of that take away from reps he could have just been getting in the slot? You know, so there's a give and take to everything in football. Um, and here's the thing. If it was working out, if he was playing all these different spots and he had 40 catches and 40 carries and was doing everything, then we're having a much different conversation. Right, right. And that is the thing. I mean, the, the it is a good idea, like it's a good theory to say we would like for Jaheim Bell to be able to carry the football, take direct snaps, um, play in the slot, play outside, play inline tight end. Great, great in theory because from a physical standpoint, he can do a lot of that. But if you're not finding a way to effectively do that, whether it's getting it called, making sure the ball gets to him, then there's a reason for that probably. And, and I totally agree with you. I think the reason is there's been a little bit too much of just he's this, he's this, he's he's this in this package, he's this and something else. And then if we do have him out there, the ball maybe doesn't get to him that time. His snaps have obviously dwindled. You know, he played nine snaps against Missouri. So if he's one of your best players, like has been said, which is not far-fetched at all, accurate, then – Maybe simplify things, dumb it down a little bit. You know, if you feel like that's generally the answer. If you feel like you're doing too much, find a way to hone in on what you do well and build from there. And so finding a role uh, for him, glad it's not our job, Wes, um, but you got to find it. But I was just curious what you thought about, you know, his usage against Vanderbilt and whether or not we might see him more at running back. And the answer might be that it, it might depend on Maybe we do see him more if number one can't go or, or is limited or doesn't feel great um, about with the with the contusion. 
maybe that's the answer, but we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Yeah, Stacy says Bell doesn't have the vision to be a full-time running back. I, I don't think I agree with that thought. I mean, I don't know if we've seen evidence that of Jaheim like missing a bunch of holes when we've seen him out there. I mean, for one, it's still a pretty relatively small sample size that we've seen him at running back. And if anything, I mean, the guy does have a pretty good sense of staying on his feet, falling forward, using his body. Um, I think the most frustrating thing maybe for fans, Chris, is that they used him better last year than this year. Like you would think you would be able to build off of what um, what we saw last year and it'd be successful or at least as successful, you would hope and think more successful. But that just has not happened, which obviously leads to frustration. And, um, you know, a really good, really good Missouri defense that, played even better uh, than they have as of late when paired up with South Carolina's offense. Um, you're talking quarterbacks for Vandy. This really, the more you look, man, is, a, is an offense that has kind of struggled. And I know Missouri struggled coming in as well. I still think this is probably a bit better matchup for South Carolina than this past week was. Um, the quarterbacks, I think um, – the, the one thing that stands out to me, man, the completion percentage is just not good. Like, uh, both of them under 60%. Um, Swan is 57.7. Mike Wright, 59.3. Um, they don't turn the football over. But it, it is interesting sort of the, the, the uh, balance there between they're not completing a lot of passes, but they're also – not turning the football over as passers. So I don't know if they're just like throwing the ball away or not taking many chances um, or if they're just messing completely. But um, you're normally just not going to be able to be a very efficient passing offense if you're not completing the ball at a certain clip. And so I maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if Vanderbilt's going to be the team like Missouri that's going to be able to just stay on the field the way Missouri did against South Carolina's defense. Well, it, you know, nonetheless, I, I still think it's a little concerning, Wes, coming into this game. Look at what South Carolina's formula has been. They have not been that good of a team, South Carolina has not, when they have not been turnover-reliant. I mm. mean, the Kentucky game, you're able to force some key ones. You're, you're banking also on a, a quarterback who has never played in that game making some mistakes, forcing him into some mistakes, and you did that. A&M, same thing. Uh, their offense came in kind of struggling, scuffling, mistake-prone. Again, we saw that through a pick that led to a score, the the helmetception or whatever you want to call that that happened, um, the false starts, right? So South Carolina benefited, and, and that was their, their two best games, their two best wins this season. Um when they have not had that, Georgia didn't turn the ball over. Arkansas didn't turn the ball over. Missouri didn't turn the ball over. Three losses. So, I hate that. Like, I'm going to get some reputation as all I talk about is turnovers. But, like, seriously, it has been just a huge storyline for this team this year. So, when I look at this with Vandy and their quarterbacks – you know, last week, Brady Cook came in as a guy who had a reputation for making a lot of mistakes, and maybe he'll throw mm. you some picks. He didn't. So if you're South Carolina, you're going to need to find a way to reverse that trend because right now, and I know that Vandy defensively is going to be a step down from Missouri, certainly, A&M, Kentucky, but South Carolina hasn't shown that it's good enough on offense to say, hey, if you punt the ball to us, and we have decent or okay field position, we can go down and score four or five touchdowns on you driving the field. They have not shown that. Um, they've shown that they can be opportunistic and capitalize and put a few drives together, but that is kind of the question. Um, can you force Vandy into mis some mistakes and take advantage? Or, Wes, even, I won't say better, but it would be a sign of progress for this team of, if Vanderbilt's not turning the ball over, can you just be good enough to go down, put together a few touchdown drives that are 60, 70, 75-yard touchdown drives and just say, this is what we're going to do. 
you can't stop it. That's kind of what we have not seen from this team this year. Travis says Cook threw an interception. I'm counting it as such. Um, that was an awful Good call. point. That was a pick. Yeah. It was an awful call. Terrible I feel bad pick. for DQ Smith. Didn't he have one erased earlier this year? He did. He barely skipped off the ground. He um, did. Now he had that one erased. Uh, I feel bad for that guy, man. Um, hey, Missouri, did you catch my note um, in, uh, in my details you may have missed? Not only did they obvious, – the obvious is they attacked the edges, got themselves out of third and, and long. Um, by the way, going into that game, I caught this while I was trying to rewatch Vandy, um, and it was the Vandy-Missouri game. Missouri had had an average this year of like third and eight on third downs. And obviously, it felt like they were in third and two all day long against South Carolina. So no pass rush if you're in third and two. But um, the uh, so God, I just lost my train of thought again. But um, basically, Missouri completely flipped it on um, on South Carolina compared to what had been happening before. But looking back, man. Mike Wright, and again, they run a two-quarterback system, assuming everybody's healthy. They'll they'll get both guys in to an extent from time to time. Um, last year against South Carolina, he rushed for rushed for 43 yards on 16 carries, 11 for 21 passing, 206 yards, a touchdown and interception, had a 52-yard um, pass completion. You use a map in your it, car. It feels like it was more. In that game, like I remember more rushing more rushing or maybe maybe he was escaping the pass rush. And I'm like equating that with rushing yardage. It just yeah. feels to me looking back on that game and that game's kind of a blur because it was just such a weird game. But it feels to me like he gave Carolina some issues last year. Didn't put up huge numbers, but um. Remember, that game was so weird because it felt like South Carolina was in control early, couldn't really put Vandy away, and then all of a sudden you're just like, Vandy is in the lead. <laughs> They're what going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the touchdowns, I was I was like 206 passing yards. I think one of them was a longer touchdown that was like a curl, and it was one-on-one, -on -one and Carolina missed a tackle, and the guy turned around and ran for a touchdown, I think. I think that was that year. Um but, yeah, I mean, he, he has some mobility to him, whether it is being able to run the football, some design runs, buy some time, scramble outside the pocket. So it'll be a little, it, you know, some similarities in some ways to last week. Um, you know, Mike Wright is not K.J. Jefferson by any means, but you look at a couple of the performances against mobile quarterbacks this year and some concern for South Carolina, right? So you've got some issues there with, Concerned about the mobile quarterback. Uh, Vandy's offense has improved from what it was last season, right? Um, and they've been efficient, not from the standpoint of scoring a lot of points, um, but they've been efficient in the fact that the quarterbacks have not turned the ball over. So, again, a, a trend that South Carolina needs to try to reverse on Saturday. Yeah, and I, um, I don't know, man. If I'm them, I'm very tempted to just shorten this game go with my running quarterback, run the football, keep it in third and shorts. And um, like we talked about with Missouri, play to a score. Like shorten this game and say, hey, can, if, if we can get to 21, if we can get to 24, can South Carolina um, match that? And to Missouri's credit, it was kind of – and I feel like we keep going back to this Missouri game, but um, – you know, they they said, look, we're not going to get our quarterback hit. We're not going to get in third and longs. If we can have some success running the football, and even in the times we don't, when we're in third and long, we're still not going to drop back and throw into coverage and get him hit and put him, put him in bad situations. We're okay punting if we have to. And, um, you know, I, I think that that was the game plan they went in with. It worked to a – I mean, to perfection. And uh, we'll see how much of that Vandy is capable of um, – you know, kind of copying, but to an extent, there may be some things that carry over from that game. I don't know if their receivers, Chris, are going to be on the same level. You know, like Missouri had two really good receivers, and mm -hmm. um, I thought they did a fantastic job of getting matched up with South Carolina safeties and nickels 
and attacking them down the field um, when they were not necessarily in pass-first situations. They established the run. They established the outside stuff. And then they attacked them down the field with those matchups after putting them in situations where the defensive line could not pin their ears back. You know, Cam Smith, Darius Rush, Marcellus Dial on the outside, wasn't really a whole lot of room to operate for their receivers. When they got them matched up in the slot and against safeties down the field, that's where they were able to have success. They did a great job of getting, like, some switches um, in man coverage, you know, running, you know, basically cross over each other. Um, did a fantastic job with that and and hit some – I mean, Brady Cook, to his credit, played his best game of the year by far, you know, dropping some balls in some tighter windows. And uh, Dante Lovett, I think at one point in that game, Wes, he had 10 targets and 10 catches. So, I mean – uh, very efficient getting the ball to him and, and Bannister, uh, Barrett Bannister. They did a really good job with him as well. So for South Carolina, kind of going off what you said, the key is for for people to not be able to copy what Missouri did. Number one, you're, you're going to have to figure out playing on the edges better um, if people go that route. But number two, you have to do exactly what I said earlier. If you're South Carolina, the other team cannot be content with, okay, now we're punting to this offense. They can't be content with that. Missouri felt content with it because they probably went back and said, when has this team had the most success? It's normally been on short fields. They haven't driven the field a bunch. We feel good about our defense. We're going to punt it to them and make them drive. And as it turned out, they couldn't. So if you're South Carolina, you have to flip the script on that and be able to start moving the ball more consistently. Yeah, shout out to Trung again, by the way, uh, throwing us a tip there. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate the kind words Thank as you, well. Um, we're trying to give you all what we know on Vandy. I'm still hoping that we can get this Vandy expert in for tomorrow to give some actual true on-the-ground insight on uh, on what to expect from this team. Do you, do you – not to – don't give it all away, Chris. we got to save a little bit for tomorrow. Do you do you have in your mind how this game could, should, will play out, or are you a little more uncertain? Let, let me not lie. Really, no, not at this point. Like, I'm trying to think about it. Predictions for Colin Taylor, for our staff on GamecockCentral.com, are due. They are due tomorrow by 10, right? Mm-hmm. So we will have to figure out our Nostradamus predictions for this game. I don't have it yet though. Um, where I am leaning Wes is that it's going to be ugly. That's kind of where I'm leaning up. Oh, there you go. Brandon Brandon's on it today. You're on one. Um, I just, man, I don't know. I mean, South Carolina hasn't been good enough to go just thoroughly beat somebody in the sec. You could say Kentucky. That'd be fair, right? They won that game 24 to 14. They were up 24 to 7. You know, the last touchdown fairly inconsequential for Kentucky. That's the best example. So that might be your best case scenario, or maybe there is a better scenario, but I'm thinking kind of ugly right now. But I got I gotta flesh it out a little bit more and and think. Have have you decided what your prediction is? Not for the score, but for, for those who like really pay attention on Gamecock since we have our score prediction. Um, article that Colin does and our random could be anything on the planet prediction, mm-hmm. which you would think is easy, but really is not. Have you come up with that yet? I haven't, but I think I have one that might actually be easy almost to cheat. Okay. Dig it. All right. Um, real quick, before we get out of here, y'all, here's what I want to know. Brandon says 17, 14, good guys. I'm going to tell y'all about uh, one of our sponsors, but while I do that, I want y'all to comment. Are you happy with 17-14? Good guys. Are you – like? I, I kind of feel like if this is an ugly – even if it's expected, this is an ugly, grinded out, blah, win. There's still going to be a lot of people unhappy is the way I feel. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people unhappy until there's a change. On offense is where we have – it's where this thing has landed. Um, 
But yeah, let me know. Are y'all are y'all happy? Is this a win is a win season? Or do you want to see a little bit more pretty ball, basically? A little bit better execution than that. Um all right, y'all hang tight. Uh gotta tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax. Um tax season is um actually, believe it or not, right around the corner. Uh, 803-462-5576. Our friends at Liberty Tax can help you through that process. They have convenient locations here all around the Midlands. There's one in Irmo, one in Lexington, and one in Columbia. If you own a business and need help with your um, your uh, payroll services or your bookkeeping services, they actually have a QuickBooks Pro um, professional, expert, whatever you want to call them, on staff here at Liberty Tax here locally. They can help you focus on your actual business, and they'll handle all the payroll stuff. So, again, 803-462-5576. Appreciate Liberty Tax and those guys for being a supporting sponsor of GC Live. The comments are in. Um, nobody's really answered my question. Let's see. Um, Travis says, you know what? No. Um, Dustin says no, but I'd still rather win. Brandon says, will there be more Gamecocks than Vandy fans in the stadium? I I don't know, but usually yes. Probably. Um, Trey says, with a healthy Lloyd, 31 to 10, Carolina. Mark said, <laughs> Mark, Mark is over it. Mark's out. Mark says, 14 to 10, Vandy. Um, Ryan, one of the most positive people on here, still says not at all. Got to get points on the board. Um, Trunk says, sad to feel scared about Vandy, but uh, hopefully we win ugly 24 to 10 with a pick six. Um, Jamie won't be ecstatic, but getting out of there with a win is good with me. So, yeah. Um, I, I really – I think we're at that point, though. You got You got to take the win how you can get it, but I think the fans will just feel a lot better, a lot happier if it's not this ugly – Type yeah. win. It seems to be, Chris, probably at this point the most likely scenario. Like, I think most people say, yeah, South Carolina will win the game more than likely. But are they probably going to score a bunch of points? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. There's there's not really a reason to, you know, believe that. Now, certainly if you go down there and get a bunch of turnovers, get a bunch of short fields, that, it could happen. But – if I'm betting, I'm I'm betting against, you know, an offensive explosion by South Carolina in this game right now. Yeah. All right. That's all we got for today, y'all. Again, we'll work on a Vandy um, expert for tomorrow. Um, either way, we'll have our final preview, final thoughts on the matchups that matter, maybe a little recruiting talk, and uh, we'll get you, get you squared away for South Carolina versus Vanderbilt, which is set for 7.30 p.m. Eastern time in Nashville, SEC Network. He's Chris. I'm Wes. Appreciate y'all joining us. As always, uh, y'all have a good one. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.